0: And to remind you that above all, this too shall pass. Welcome back to another expert episode of the show. Today is probably one of my most highly requested guests. I like to do question box on Instagram and ask you guys who you want to hear on the podcast. And Sean Galanos was probably the number one requested guest that I had. And once I started following his page, I could see it was for very good reason And when, typically when I have a guest on, I like to figure out a topic, but with Sean, I just love, you're following him, you know, he gives such great, no-nonsense advice. And so I just wanted to ask him his opinion on different questions. And so I came to break up hot takes with Sean. And so I asked him the most common questions I get asked. And you know, I think we have very similar philosophies. We definitely differ on a couple things, but I just loved hearing his take on the no contact rule. Can you be friends with an ex? He really focuses a lot on communication. So I was asking, you know, when is it okay to define a relationship? How do you avoid emotionally unavailable people early in the dating game? And he just has such a great and simple, I love his simple outlook on things. So He also has a variety of courses that he talks about, and he has his own podcast, The Love Drive, and just his story of how he started his brand is so interesting. He started it by talking about people's relationships when he was driving cabs, so I loved this episode. It was a very fun conversation. I'm really glad we were able to make it happen, and I am looking forward to hearing what you guys think. Welcome, Sean, to the Heal Your Heartbreak podcast. You were a very highly requested guest on the show, so I'm so happy we are able to make this happen.
1: I love hearing that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I put up a question box. I actually, to be, I hadn't heard of your account, but I asked for guest requests, and I'm not even kidding, like a third of the requests were... Sean from the love drive so I had to reach out to you and then I you know started following you and just love your content so so yeah very excited to have you on and I wanted to start because I was researching you for this episode and saw how you started the love drive and I thought it was such a fascinating story so I'd love if you could start off by saying like what got you into this the very beginnings to what it is now.
1: Yeah. First of all, happy to be here. Love that you got a bunch of you know suggestions to have me on. The Love Drive started literally when I was driving a taxi in San Francisco talking to my passengers about love. That's where the name, the Love Drive, came from. Started driving a cab because it's a long story to how I got to be driving a cab, but decided I wanted to drive a cab. Didn't want to work in tech anymore. I'd come back from a big trip and... You know, driving a cab is sort of fun for a bit until it gets really boring. And I had a friend say, hey, you know, you're always talking about love with everybody. Why don't you, you know, interview your passengers? And so I put GoPros and cameras and lights and microphones in the cab, had them sign releases, and then would just ask them questions about sex, love, and dating. And that's how the Love Drive started. This was back in 2013, 2014 in San Francisco. And did that for a while. Driving a cab is actually really hard, right? If you want to make money, you're working like 5 p.m. to 5 a.m., you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you're sort of a zombie. And that's how it started. And then I really loved making those videos. I loved sort of what was the, the conversations, the comments that I would get on YouTube. And then I started creating more content, blog posts, just standalone videos, the podcast. I moved to Montreal at some point, back to Montreal, that's where I'm originally from. Got certified as a coach. Started coaching people and then all the while growing the Instagram and the, the TikTok really blew up during the pandemic. So started coaching people and then started doing courses and groups. And now here we are, 2022.
0: That's awesome. I feel like people love talking about their like love life. Were people are receptive when you brought it up in the cab?
1: So some people, yes. Other people, no way. Like no yeah. way do they want to be on video talking about their love life. And what I found actually is most of the professional folks, lawyers, doctors, tech folks, engineers, they didn't want to talk about it, right? Because they're, yeah. they're aware of sort of what happens when you go online. It's, it's there forever, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the folks that did want to are sort of folks in the service industry, artists, queer folks, like sex workers, right? So like they sort of appreciated the hustle that I was doing at the time. And so it was sort of a mixed bag. And then also what, you know, the issue with interviewing passengers is that 90% of the time what they're saying is actually not that interesting, which it feels bad to say, but like, you know, the golden content is far and few between. So it's, you know, it's not a very good way of creating content, it's actually quite exhausting.
0: Well, I was going to ask because this has been like my experience since I started breakup bestie is I've just learned like how universal experiences are. And it's always so funny to me when I get a message where someone will say, I have a really unique experience and I'll be like, I bet you, you don't. So did you have that experience too, where it's like, you know, there's so many different circumstances in dating and relationships and breakups, but like. Everyone's going through the same thing.
1: Yeah. I think the people that I get a lot of messages on Instagram saying, like, oh, I haven't heard you talk about this. This is super unique. And and then they tell me this thing that's, you know, pretty common. Yeah. I actually think it's just their way of trying to get you to answer their question. <laughs> Fair. Right? Yeah. Right. They're like, this one, you know, here's a toughie for you. But yeah, I think we're all sort of going through a lot of similar situations, but because We don't talk about it with other people. We think it's unique when it's really sort of inherent to the human experience. Yeah. We're a lot more common than, or we have a lot more similarities than we think we do.
0: Yeah. I think too, what I have found is people want their experience to be unique because they want to kind of sit in it. Like, If you think your experience is unique and you ask for help, you'll be like, they don't get it you know, how would they know how to help me because they don't understand it. So I think sometimes it's our way of like staying stuck in our own shit.
1: Yeah, that's a really good insight. People don't really want to admit that what they're going through is perfectly common and normal, and that there is a way forward, you know, yeah. like no contact or set boundaries or stop texting them every time you feel like texting them, right? They go, well, it's because this is... So much more challenging. I mean, if you only knew how unique this was, then you know you would understand. And I think we we do understand. Breakups are hard. Relationships are hard. Everything is hard. Yeah, it's just hard. Life yeah. life is hard. God damn yeah. it. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so I was talking to you before we started, but I love your Q As, and I'm sure a lot of people do. So I wanted to ask you like the most common breakup questions that I'm asked and and get your opinion on them. You know, obviously you're very wise in your advice and you have such a great way of expressing that. So my first question is, in your experience, how do you see men and women experience breakups differently?
1: You know, I think we're going to generalize here, yeah, right? Because yes. obviously this gross gen- overgeneralization, but I think men tend to move on quote unquote quicker. But it's because they're not actually processing the breakup, Mm -hmm. right? So they're looking for a distraction. They're looking for the next thing that is going to relieve themselves of the pain of a breakup, right? So I think guys tend to move on quicker. Women tend to dwell a little bit longer Mm -hmm. or maybe not dwell, maybe just take the time to heal. Yeah. Right. So I think that's one of the major differences, right? I get a lot of questions from women saying, how could he have moved on so quickly? And it's like, yeah. well, it's because he's not sitting with the disappointment, the discomfort, the desperation, all the other D words that are just really hard to sit through after you know a devastating breakup. So it's much easier to binge watch, to find comfort in the arms of another person, to throw yourself even into more work. into your work. Yeah. Yeah. So they're not really processing what they need to be processing, which is the sadness, the loneliness, the hurt, the disappointment, right? Of having thought that you were going to spend the rest of your days with this one person and then finding out that that's actually not the case. Yeah. But I think that's one of the major differences.
0: Well, I think too, and I don't. I mean, I don't know if this is, but they talk about how men compartmentalize stuff and women like can kind of think about multiple things at once. So if a guy's like at work, he's like at work, where women can be like at work and just running through the breakup constantly all day.
1: Also not helpful.
0: <laughs> also not helpful. Yes, not good to do. But I feel like men can get like a lot more tunnel vision.
1: Well, I think compartmentalizing or bottling it up you know, I think is another way of...
0: Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice way to say suppressing your emotions. (laughs) Yeah. I mean,
1: I, you know, in my breakups, you know, the particularly hard ones, it was hard for me to get work done, right? I would just get overwhelmed with sadness in the middle of the day and just have to take a break. Luckily, I don't work in, you know, an office environment where that would be... I'd have to go hide in the bathroom. You can't cry at your desk. You should be able to cry at your desk, but if you do you run the risk of a whole bunch of people asking what the hell is wrong and thinking somebody died. And yeah, it'd be great if we could just emote freely wherever we are without it causing all sorts of undue stress and <laughs> protocol. I'd punches.
0: like to see a world where we get like heartbreak leave, for, you know, like leave from work can include going through a heartbreak,
1: going through a yeah. breakup. Well, then you've got that one person who's like going through it every three months, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's like a one per year. <laughs> totally, and hey, we can't even get maternity leave. You think we can get heartbreak leave? Come on, I know. get that's, real.
0: That's fair. Yes, that's very fair point. <laughs>
1: Let's move out of this country.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right. I, yeah, this week more than ever. So, you mentioned the no contact rule. Is that something you're for? I'm like people listen to this podcast. I'm very for the no contact rule. If you're able to, and you don't share kids, or you know, aren't in the same workplace, what are your thoughts on the no contact rule?
1: Huge fan. Huge okay. fan of no contact. Good. So yeah, no contact. I am a big fan. I've, I've done it in all of my relationships. I have a friend, your dying nonsense, Todd Barrett's, who's a sex therapist. And he is not a fan, right? He's like, you know, huh. tries to normalize this idea of like wanting to stay connected. He's basically like, whatever you want to do is fine, right? Which is one perspective of therapeutic healing. And I also agree with that to a point. And I think no contact is just really, really helpful to help you develop a new support network, Yeah, right? Because that person was your everything for a lot of people. And it's hard to break the habit of always reaching out to the same person, especially the person who hurt you, right? If you're the one who's sort of the breaky you have to start reaching back out to your other network. And no contact forces you to do that. It really does. Because you're, you're sitting there alone in your bedroom in a pile, crumpled up, crying, going, how am I going to get through this? I just want to call my ex so they can soothe me. But it's like the person who hurt you can't also be the person who soothes you. Yeah. So that's that's the biggest reason why I like no contact. It really does force you to reconnect with a, a support network that can help you through that that heartbreak.
0: Yeah, that's an incredibly good point. And it's a lot of like relearning habits. A lot of a breakup is just, you know, you did Friday nights where that this person, you need a new Friday night thing. Like so much of it is just, you know, kind of having to replace things and it makes it really hard when you're still leaning on them so much. What are your thoughts on when someone says they want to stay friends during a breakup? Do you think it's they actually want to stay friends Or is there like another motive behind that?
1: I mean, it depends. Uh, You know, to a certain degree, this person was your best friend. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to leave your best friend right away. You know, I had a a sponsor. I've been sober for like 15 years. I had a sponsor. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: I just celebrated nine years.
1: Nice. Yeah. Together, (laughs) we're 24 years. Yes. I
0: didn't know that about you. That's very exciting to learn.
1: I know. I don't hide it, but I also don't like, you know share often yeah. but about my journey. But yeah, so I've been sober for a long time. And one of my sponsors said, at best, our motives are half good about That's, anything. Yeah. Right. All right. So yeah. so I think what often happens or what can happen in breakup situations is that the breaker is trying to soften the blow. Yeah. And so they say, yeah, let's just be friends. When there there really is no intention of being friends. And Look, it is incredibly hard to transition from partnership to friendship. Yeah. It's like you have your habits, like you said, you've got your routines. How do you just stop making out and being lovey-dovey and having sex with the person that you've been doing that for X amount of time, right? Yeah. I think friendship is possible. I'm really good friends with a few of my exes.
0: At what point were you able to make that transition? After at least six months. Okay.
1: Yeah. The no contact for me is a six month thing. Yeah, Just as a general rule, right? And then reevaluate whether you actually have space in your life for this other person and whether you even want them as a friend. You know, and I think the benchmark for whether you can be friends with your ex is, can you hear them talk about their new person?
0: Yeah.
1: Or can you meet their new person? That's the holy grail right there. If you can meet them and be happy for them and be supportive for them and not feel intense jealousy, maybe like a little twinge of, oh, you know, that was us, but I'm still happy for them. That's fine. If you can generally be happy for them, genuinely be happy and supportive about their relationship or hear them talking about sex with other people, then I think you're, you're probably prime for friendship. But if you see red, then that's a no-go. You cannot be friends with someone who, you know, how many friends do you have where you can't hear about them talking about their relationship.
0: Yeah. Because kind of that's the true that? test of... A, yeah, that's exactly. It's like, how would you treat your best friend if they talked about dating? You wouldn't get jealous. I had a client one time say, I'll be friends with my ex when I could get their wedding invitation and be okay with it and be happy to go.
1: Yeah. I just hosted my ex, one of my exes. I mean, we dated you know, six, seven years ago, but her and her boyfriend came by and visited me and I made dinner for them and it was fantastic, you know. I still like her. Like I like her. I look at her sometimes going like, oh, I wonder, you know, what would happen, right? But I'm not I don't feel jealousy. I do feel genuine joy for her and her path. And it's cool because being friends with your ex is cool because you know them in a way that other people don't. That's in a way that their friends don't. Right. And so you can't actually be a great advisor romantically. Because you kind of have some of the the deeper knowledge of who they are and and how they are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And how they communicate and all that. And I love what you said too, of like reevaluating if you have space. Because that's been a lot of the cases with me is like, I have a lot of friends. I don't want a friend that maybe potentially has strings attached emotionally for me. So that's kind of always been the case for me with like, do I be friends with an ex? It's like, I just, I have plenty of friends and I don't necessarily have space for that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, that's like, you know, when you're starting to date somebody new and they go, yeah, I'm just not really feeling it. Maybe we could just be friends. And I'm often like, yeah, you know, I've got enough friends. Like, actually, I don't have enough time for the friends I do have. So for me to invest in a low level friendship right now, I'm just not really up for it.
0: Yeah. And one thing that I know you talk about is, why do you think people ghost in relationships?
1: I mean, my most viewed TikTok was this, you know, instead of ghosting, just say this. And this is, hey, I had a really nice time with you. But, you know, the connection that you and I have isn't what I'm looking for. Take good care, right? And it was so popular because it's a very divisive topic, right? Half the people said, oh, my God, I would love to hear that. And then the other half was like, please, no, just ghost me. Really? Do not want to hear. Yeah.
0: I'm (laughs) very surprised by that. I wonder if it's like...
1: It's generational.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, I, yeah. I'm like, I don't want to feel like old saying it's a general, but I feel like it it's is generational. a generational Yeah, thing. absolutely. Because I don't remember ghosting happening at all in my friendship circles, you know, 10 How years ago. I'm 31. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You're still, I mean, yeah, I think there's a, there's a blend there happening. I'm 39. I, I, there was no ghosting happening. We would just tell them, yeah. you know, what's going on. But I, also I think with the, proliferation of online dating, the amount of connections that we have, it becomes a lot easier to ghost just because people get overwhelmed with how many people they're talking to. Mm There are some valid reasons for ghosting. If you're a woman, you don't feel safe because yeah. you think that the other person is going to stalk you. Or I've heard from a lot of women saying like, yeah, whenever I've told them I'm not into it, then I get the why. Why not? What have I done? What could I have done? And it's like, whoa, if you're already not into it, then you have to answer all these questions. I totally get it. Yeah. So th- I think there's some of that is why people ghost is self-preservation the other piece i think is probably we're just not good having uncomfortable conversations or hurting other people's feelings yeah right so there's this just not wanting to do it because it's going to be awkward and and sort of painful for them or even painful for you because you have to hurt somebody's feelings i also think that you know it's very presumptuous of you to know how someone's going to feel when you yeah. tell them that you're not into it anymore even though you're probably right you, know, you probably got a good sense of how they're going to feel because they like you more than you like them. So well, there's a lot of pieces there.
0: I always remember the first time I had to break up with someone in sobriety. I remember I called my sponsor and told, I, I was so worried that I was going to like ruin this person's life. And she was like, you're not that important. Like you're not that powerful. <laughs> Stop playing God. <laughs> yeah. You're not that big of a deal that you're going to completely derail someone's life by ending the relationship. And, you know, it was a tough conversation, but yeah, I didn't ruin this person's life. They're off living just fine.
1: But between you and me, you are a huge deal. Let's be honest. <laughs> Thank, you.
0: <laughs> Thank you. It's always balancing, you know, it's balancing. And it did Not destroy
1: that. It did destroy <laughs> them. Let's be honest. <laughs>
0: Well, a topic that's been coming up in my DMs a lot is why was my ex so different when they ended the relationship? And I don't know if you agree with this, but I tend to think that it's because sometimes people have to disassociate when they're ending a relationship. So they they're not their like normal loving self that you're used to the whole relationship. Is that what you tend to think?
1: Yeah, it's a couple of things. I think I have definitely experienced this myself. I have felt it with some of my exes where the the love faucet was just off, just mm. gone, you know, did not want to be in this relationship anymore. For me, probably stemming from a fear of intimacy. We had gotten to the point in our relationship where it was getting a little too real for me and I would have had to disclose and divulge who I really am. And I was just not into it. I was not in a place for that. It's about, some people might be, shocked to hear that a love coach, you know, has a fear of intimacy and some avoidant attachment styles. and But it's not shocking. You know, it's not shocking at all. Part of, you know, how I am has brought me to why I do this work, right? Because I course, yeah. I create the kind of stuff that I wish I'd, I had growing up or the stuff that, you know, I sort of need to be reminded of right now. So yeah, I, I think sometimes the faucet just turns off and people don't know how to continue being loving right that's one piece and then the other piece is like sometimes people just turn the lasers on each other right the the breakup just th- their worst self comes out yeah. right their most fearful scared aggressive defensive like all the tactics come out and it is it's like sort of a no holds barred warfare that you've never experienced with them before so yeah it's it's hard to continue to stay loving throughout the process And it's also one of the most loving things that you can do to stay present through the breakup, right? I had a breakup semi recently. We really, really made a concerted effort to stay loving and to sort of hash out what needed to be hashed out. We had a breakup ceremony. We did like an intentional ceremony where we spent four hours together. She like wrote a song for us. I made a slideshow and we sort of cleaned up all of the loose ends and then we set each other free and it was really 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 beautiful and healing.
0: That's incredible. I've never heard of that. But I I mean, I think ceremonial stuff is great for going through a breakup. I've just never heard of doing it with with the person, but Well, there's the, you know, the whole
1: conscious uncoupling book. Yeah. There's so, you know, in that book it says, "Hey, if you could do this with your partner, great. If you can't, you could do this on your own." Yeah. And we didn't use the book. We just decided to have, you know, an intentional moment together where we sort of process the end of our relationship together.
0: And I think that's what's hard too sometimes for me of like giving advice on breakups because there are situations where something like that is possible. I tend to think it's the exception to the rule though. So I'm always like, I mean, people know this about me, but I got I'm married to an ex of mine and I always say, like, I am the exception to the rule in a lot of these situations. But sometimes the best thing you can do for a breakup is have it be quick and part ways, because the more you talk, the messier it gets. And you kind of just end up going in circles of like, I still, you know. And then you you're hugging and then you're kissing and then you're like, oh, shit, are we still broken up? And then you're like breaking up like every weekend and it can just get so messy.
1: And well, ours was long distance. So it was, okay. it was a long distance Zoom breakup, actually. <laughs> Pandemic Zoom breakup. I don't recommend it, but, you know, there is no good time to break up.
0: That's also true.
1: Yeah. There's no good time. It's like, oh, well, I, I'm going to wait after his birthday. Don't wait after his birthday if you know you want to do it now. That's so, that's worse. I'd be so pissed if I found out that you waited till after my birthday because you want to ruin my birthday. Like, just do it. You know, yeah. if you think you need to do it, do it. Do not wait for any sort of like momentous occasion to pass.
0: well, and I think we also forget that when you're breaking up with someone, you're doing the right thing for them. You're like, if you know you don't want to be with them, you're just holding them in a relationship that's not going to work. And you're not giving them the opportunity to go out and find another person
1: or just <laughs> be sad. Right. Like, yeah, I think the going out, finding another person comes after the just processing the breakup. But yeah, don't hold back. Right. If you need to do it, just do it.
0: You touched on, you know, like intimacy, avoidant. I want to talk about like the emotional unavailability. I'm on the other side of the spectrum. I've always been an anxious attachment style person. So I feel like that's where a lot of my stuff comes from. But a question I tend to get a lot is we were about to move in. You know, last week they told me they want to spend the rest of their life with me. This week they said that they're not ready for a relationship. So, what, like, I'm not ready for a relationship. I can't do this, what does that tend to mean?
1: I mean, it means exactly what it means, right? They just can't do it, whether it's with you or not, or at all, right? Oftentimes when they say, I don't want to be in a relationship, sometimes it's with you, right? They they conveniently leave out the with you part. And we should just remember that that's probably what they're saying, right? It's, It's not that they're incapable of, they just don't want to do it with you. I think we also need to remember that when we're in these relationships, these love relationships, we're under the influence of hormonal drugs, right? Norepinephrine, dopamine, all that stuff, the feel-good stuff, the oxytocin. We say shit, we do not mean, right? I want to spend the rest of my life with you is a true statement in the moment. And that changes. So you can't hold people to everything they say when they're speaking in a really loving, romantic, sort of like grand gestures way, right? I see it as a sweet comment and a a good intention, but I'm not gonna say, you said we were gonna live the end of our days together and now you're not ready for a relationship. Like we say all sorts of shit when we're under the influence of love, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And that's those same brain drugs that we're on is what make makes breakup so hard because you're actually going through like a full blown detox of of those things, and not to mention that also does not give credit to the fact that we change a lot and should be growing a lot as humans, and sometimes you grow apart from a partner, and it's not necessarily something they did or something they did wrong. It's just. You're growing in one way and the person's growing in a different way. And that's part of life, unfortunately. But also, fortunately.
1: Yeah. Fortunately, if you're growing in a different way that doesn't, you know, isn't supportive to your partner, or to yourself. I remember talking to Jason Gaddis, who is connection coach and the founder of the relationship school. And he was talking about this analogy of, you know, a couple aren't rowing in the same boat. They're actually rowing parallel boats, and that at times your boats will drift apart, and then they'll come back together. And then at sometimes, you know, you're going to course correct in a way that it's just they're not coming back together, right? So I think uh, relationships are continuous, moving apart and coming together over and over and over again. And you'll have stretches where you're together for longer, but you're always going to be drifting a little bit and then coming back together until you're you're not until you just kind of drift. You know, forevermore in in a different direction,
0: yeah, I think that's a really good point. And as someone who I had a long pattern of dating emotionally unavailable people, and first of all, I had to realize like I'm a common denominator. There's something that has to do with me here of why I continue to end up with people who are emotionally unavailable. But often I'm asked how to prevent that in the future i think there's like this fear around asking people you know what their intentions are with dating what are your thoughts on when you do start dating again like how do you bridge that topic to make sure you don't end up with someone who's emotionally unavailable again
1: I mean, the thing about emotional unavailability, I have a whole course on this called All About Emotional
0: Availability. Okay. (laughs) I will link that because that is important.
1: Yeah, it's a fun course. It's not like an easy course. I have much easier courses like uh, Flirting with Confidence is super fun and uh, Modern Dating 101 is fun. But the uh, All About Emotional Availability is deeper and a little bit more intense. The thing about emotional availability is sort of of like the Holy grail, right? That is what people are looking for. And unfortunately at the beginning, early stage dating, early stage relationships are inherently uncertain and confusing and sort of crazy making, right? Because you don't know them yet, right? You don't, the, the trust isn't established. There's the foundation isn't there. And what happens is some people will present as emotionally available And then we'll quickly shut down at some point when intimacy becomes too scary and too real and too close. And other people are going to present as emotionally unavailable, right? And until you get to know them more, and then they will slowly open up over time. I'm one of those people, right? A lot of people will be like, oh, this (laughs) guy's." If you don't know my Instagram, they'll be like, this guy's a little shut down. It's not that I'm shut down. It's that I'm very protective of my emotional landscape and what's going on inside, right? And so I only show that to people that I have deemed as safe. So it's hard to establish or to identify emotional availability early on, right? Because you could say, hey, it's really important for me to be in a relationship with somebody who's emotionally available. And the person might say, yeah, that's great. I totally feel that. I'm with you. But really what you have to look at is the data over time how do they respond to my intimate disclosures? Do they minimize? Do they make light of? Do they make a joke? Do they change the subject? Or do they say, oh, wow, that sounds really hard. And then reciprocate with one of their own, right? So is there a give and take? Is there a reciprocity? Is there a a gradual deepening of the relationship, right? Can you trust them? Can you lean on them? Are they there when you need them? these are the things that are really indicative of emotional availability is, is their ability to hold space for something that's challenging for you without jumping straight into fixing your, you know, emotional experience, right? So holding space is really important. So there's a lot of these markers that we want to look for and it's less about, oh yeah, I'm emotionally available.
0: Yeah. is which is, yeah, which is great I, I, if we knew it. It would be great. That's yeah. Exactly. It
1: would be great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Point of the whole story.
0: Well, I was watching some of your videos this morning and someone had asked, like, I've been hurt twice. Like, <laughs> yeah. how can bless, I trust? Bless his soul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how can I trust again? And I loved your answer. And that's like, you know, I tell people because I catch people on my page who are, who feel very hopeless and like, Feel like okay, this one didn't work. It's never, you know, I'm never gonna find someone. It's never gonna work. But we forget, like, there's a reason most of us aren't with the first person we ever dated is because we're learning and we have to figure out what works for us, what we like, what we don't like. We have to like work through our character defects and like all this stuff. And but it's hard to tell someone that, like, yeah, you're gonna get hurt in relationships and coming in and out of relationships.
1: Yeah, the answer that I said was only twice. You have yeah. only been hurt twice. Cuz it's yeah, it's a painful process for sure. And I agree, you know, I think what happens in relationship is that we are subconsciously, I mean, you you've probably talked about this before, trying to recreate our childhood attachment, right? And I I'm actually not a huge fan of attachment. Okay. I value attachment theory. I'm not a fan of everybody pathologizing attachment as the only lens in which you view other people. My god, how limiting. It is yeah. a tool that therapists and psychologists can use effectively to diagnose. It is not something that the layperson, including myself as a coach, is qualified to use but people throw it around like oh they're anxious i'm avoiding it'll never work it's like no in relationship we get to rework these patterns and heal parts of them so a relationship ends a lot of people go well that was a waste of time now i got to start all over again which is it's unfortunate because you're not giving credit and you're not honoring all of the little subtle healing things that you've been through that will pay dividends in your next relationships uh, people were like, it was a waste of time. I got to start all over. I got to tell them all my stories. And it's it's not. We're cons- we're always a work in progress. So I'm always grateful eventually for the breakup or for the relationship that ended, no matter how bad it was, as long as I learned something. If you don't learn a goddamn thing, then you need to talk to your therapist about yeah. it. <laughs>
0: I agree on the, the book Attachment, just called Attachment, it or attached, it helped me tremendously. But I tell people like, do not read it right after a breakup because it's gonna make you feel like you should have been able to make it work, or oh, if only I had known this, then this would work. And not to mention, like, I've been anxiously attached in relationships and I've been securely attached in relationships. A lot of it just depends on the dynamic of the two people. So I do tend to agree. With that, and I wanted to ask you like moving forward into dating after a breakup, you know, there's no timeline, but when would you tell someone that they should start exploring dating after going through a breakup?
1: It's sort of an experiment. There's no, I don't like timelines for anything except for maybe six months, no contact. But, you know, a good benchmark is when you actually feel excited about meeting somebody new. That's sort of the gold standard, actually. But you can start dating before that, you know, where you're just sort of like craving intimacy or you're not sure if you're ready yet, but you wanna find out. Because let me tell you, going on a date, when you're not ready, you will know. You will know. And I don't think that you need to journal to figure it out. I think you actually just need to go out there. And you could be honest with the person saying, hey, I got out of a breakup you know, three months ago. I'm not sure if I'm really ready for this, but you seem like a really nice person. I'd love to grab drinks with you. Let them figure out if they're open to dealing with that kind of situation, right? So a little bit of e- exploration. But you know, if you're really excited about meeting somebody new, then I guess you're probably ready to go on some dates.
0: I tell people too, like, if you picture the first date not going well, how do you feel about it? Because I feel like if you're like, waiting for this date to tell you you're going to be okay in relationships and like make, you know, the first date means so much. And if it doesn't go well, you're going to be devastated. I always tell people that's like a good way to look at it too.
1: That's cool. Except for I think that all first dates have the possibility of being extremely disappointing.
0: That's what I'm saying. That's like, most likely your first date's not going to go well. (laughs) So if that's going to completely derail you, you know, it might be a little, a little early. If you can look (laughs) at it as like, it's a funny date story. You know, I always tell people like bad dates make great stories, but, but yeah. So if it's going to do, I feel
1: like they're just boring. Like I could have just stayed at home with my dog reading a book. You know, that's how I look at,
0: I guess it depends on how bad it is. Like just mediocre doesn't make for good stories. It's that feels like a waste, but like a really bad first date, I feel like can make for fun stories later on.
1: Yeah. I don't think I have very many bad first dates. They're just, you know, kind of mediocre or they're, they're great. Yeah. But those are few (laughs) and far between.
0: Just the last couple... Questions here. I put a question box of things people wanted to ask you. One of them was when dating someone new, do you think it's appropriate to talk about your ex, why your last relationship? And if so, like at what point?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's appropriate to talk about everything on the first date. You know, I mean, you could say, you could ask someone what they're looking for why are they dating? Do they want kids? Yeah. Why did your last relationship break up? If you're like harping on your ex and like name calling them and and like being real bitter about it, no. But if you can say, I'm pretty disappointed that my last relationship ended because my partner wasn't ever able to fully commit to me. Mm-hmm. Well there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. That doesn't mean you're not over it or that you're still latched on, or it just it means that you have some some you know, you've given it some thought and you've processed it a little bit and you're able to talk about it. So I don't really think there are any real taboo subjects because all this stuff is going to come out anyways.
0: And it's probably better to know earlier than later.
1: Yeah. And if this is the thing, if someone mentioning their ex just in passing about how the thing ended or, oh yeah, I went to Greece last year with my ex. It was pretty fun. We like, you know, did these three things. If that, Pisses somebody off or scares them away or makes them threatened or intimidated or upsets them. Well, that's not really someone you want to be in a relationship with because there's nothing inherently wrong about talking about any of these things.
0: Yeah. You said, like, do you see yourself having kids? Do you see yourself getting married? Do you think that's okay on first date?
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. What do you, how do you feel about kids? Is that something you would ever want?
0: Yeah. Because you're not saying, do you want to have kids with me?
1: (laughs) Well, that's the thing. That's what I I think either people think is happening or is what the other person is hearing. Yeah. Right. So if you're dating because you want a relationship, just say, hey, I'm looking for something meaningful. I'm looking for a relationship, not necessarily with you. I'm happy to just like enjoy spending time with you to see where this goes, but that's what I'm dating for. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong. I would rather you know what I'm looking for then for you to guess, right? And if you're looking for something casual, just say, hey, you know what? Just got out of a breakup four or five months ago. We were together for 17 years, not looking for a relationship right now, looking to spend time with like fun people and you seem like a fun person.
0: So as a follow-up to that, talking about like situationships, like people who end up in situationships for like six, nine months a year. When that's someone on, that's on them, that's on them. Well, so that's the <laughs> thing. Like when someone says, Let's see where this goes. I mean, I've been in that where it's like, let's see how this goes. And I'm like, okay, let's see how it goes. And then it keeps, I don't know. So what's your advice for someone to not end up in a situationship if someone says, let's see where this goes?
1: Yeah, I think regular check-ins about where it's going and how it's going is the antidote to a situationship. Like, you know, last month we talked about Seeing where this goes, I'm kind of curious. Like, how's it going for you? Like, do you you enjoy spending time with me? Do you want more commitment? Is this something that you see more long term uh, or not? And I'd love to just hear you out, and then I'll share with you how I'm feeling. Right. Mm -hmm. So, like, regular relationship check ins. Yeah. Uh, If you haven't, it's never too late to bring this stuff up.
0: Yeah, I think people think, oh, I'm this far in, or some people think, like, if I bring this up then I'm ruining, I mean, I've definitely been in that place before where I'm like, I'd rather just, you know, stay here and hope they change at some point. And, but I'm like dying inside because I want to bring this up so badly. So I think sometimes people think if they don't bring it up, the issue will just go away.
1: I think the hope is that if they don't bring it up, they'll eventually get what they want without having to ask for it. And the fear is that if they do ask for it, the asking for it will ruin what they already have. So whatever half piece of cake they were having, they will now have no cake. And sometimes it's better to have some of your needs met, you know, or even just a few of your needs met than none of them met, right? So Mm -hmm. there is a case where you're just like, hey, you know what? I'm just gonna, this is working for me. I kind of wish I had more, but I'm happy with this for right now. So there's no real and there's no like black and white answer to any of this stuff. Yeah. But if asking, you know, how are you feeling about us makes them run away, then that is not the person that you are ultimately going to have a fulfilling intimate relationship with. Because they're not able to say, you know, to be honest with you, I'm still feeling pretty casual. I enjoy spending time with you. I'm not really available for anything more committed. Spending, seeing you twice a week feels good to me. If they can't say that, then that's not the kind of person that you're going to really go long-term with.
0: Yeah. And what are your thoughts on the term soulmate? That's always when I'm like, when people say, I can't believe I just got out of this relationship. they were my soulmate. So they think like, I'm done.
1: Yeah. I mean, soulmate, twin flame, the one love of your life is Disney, Hollywood fantasy that sells tickets. The one is the one that you choose to be with for now. Yeah. And that might change because they might choose to to not see you as the one. The love of your life is the person that you're in love with right now, right? Like we just don't have clarity around what it's going to look like for the rest of our lives. A soulmate is oftentimes someone that really lights you up, that really fires you up, that gets all of your sort of, you know, old school childhood attachment stuff fired up, that triggers you, but it's hot and it's sexy and it's super fun and it's rarely sustainable. Yeah. The people that are in long term relationships with their soulmates, I love them. I'm so happy for them. It's probably not the norm. It is going to be the exception to the rule. And I think it's probably a pretty deleterious way of looking at relationships, which in my opinion, a slow burn is better than you know a really big spark. Relationships are hard and they have multiple points of connection and disconnection. They require both people to show up. They are reciprocal. Yeah. They are mutually benefiting. They are sometimes incredibly frustrating and boring. There are periods of time where you just barely tolerate each other, and other times when you're head over heels for each other. The soulmate thing I think is yeah, probably not helpful in finding just something that's good for you. Yeah. Right. I think we're all optimizing for great and the best. And when you do that, you're never satisfied. Yeah. Right, I think my sponsor, he's a great quote guy, used to say, "If what I already have isn't enough, what makes me think that more will be any better?" Mm. Yeah. So you've got a great person right in front of you, and that's not enough, but you think the more will be better, and it's often not. Right, the grass continuously greener and greener and greener and greener (laughs) and greener, and you just never get to the greenest grass. Yeah. So at some point, you have to stop and yeah. just appreciate what you have as long as it's good and it's safe and it's respectful yeah right we're not saying stay in abusive relationships or people that make you feel bad or people who can't meet your needs but for the most part you know we're, we're we need to stick with what we got
0: yeah yeah i always tell people the only time i was told i was someone's soulmate on a regular basis they were like ex- horrendously toxic and emotionally abusive so i i tend to shy away from that term my last question for you and and this is kind of a broad thing, but for someone who's listening to this, who is just going through a breakup, super recent, they're like in the weeds of it. What's like a piece of advice that you would give or words of encouragement?
1: Just, you know, (laughs) eat ice cream, masturbate, hang out with your friends, cry, watch really sad movies. Like, And don't compare your healing process to that of anybody else, especially your ex. Also, it's much easier to heal on your own when you don't know what they're doing. That's why the no contact is great. It's a little bit of out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. So, you know, take your time. There's no rush. It's going to take the time it takes. And
0: And remember, like your ex isn't posting their healing journey on social media. They're posting like when they're going out and having fun. They're not posting when they're crying at home.
1: Yeah. I only post what I am either like, you know, feeling sassy or in a good mood. You yeah. do not see any of my, my moods that aren't, that aren't like, you know, quote unquote positive. Yeah. Cause that's not for me to share with people.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much. I'd love if you, you talked about a couple of your courses, but if you could share where people can find more of your courses, your work. I don't know if you're still doing coaching, but if you could share where they can find that.
1: Yeah. Instagram bio at the Love Drive has all of the links to my podcast, the Love Drive podcast. I have a bunch of interviews with guests and also solo sort of interviews. And then I also do helpline, the call in style, sort of like yours. I have 7 courses from healthy communication to getting your needs met to intro to great sex and modern dating and the confidence course and flirting with confidence. And then I'm really excited about the the Love Collective, which is my new live love training that's starting in uh, the early early June. So that's 12 weeks of core concepts around love, dating and relationships with some group coaching and some Q&A. And I also do singles or private coaching and all that stuff is linked in my bio or on my website, SeanGalanos.com.
0: Perfect. And we will link that in the show notes, but thank you so much, Sean, for coming on and and sharing your, your amazing insights.
1: I had a blast and I'd love to have you on my podcast. We'll just do a whole breakup I would love that. episode.
0: I would love that. Okay. Thanks again. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you loved it, I hope you'll leave a review and share with your friends. If you're not already following me on Instagram, head to at your bestie, where I'm sharing new content almost every day. To join our Facebook group, Healing Hearts Club, where you can connect with thousands of people from all over the world going through breakups, head to the link in the show notes. And don't forget to check out my online courses for more in-depth help through your healing journey. I always end these episodes the same way, reminding you to be nice to yourself, stay connected with loved ones. And the biggest reminder is that this too shall pass. I promise.